God is so good. He's so awesome. He's so worthy. You know, I don't know about you. I could hardly contain, you know, as we sing, you know, uh, Yeshua, the Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. Friends, is there anyone? I mean, the scripture tells us there's no one worthy in heaven or earth, right, that got to open the seals but one, and his name was Yeshua. God deemed one person worthy, and that was the Messiah that he sent is worthy. And so um, I want to encourage you, you know what, everything we give to God, we get back uh, multiplied, shaken, and pressed down. We get it heaped back onto us because he is so awesome, so worthy, so good, and so deserving of our praise. Amen? So let's bow our hearts and pray. Elohei Avraham. Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikenu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we bless you and thank you and praise you today. Abba, we thank you, Lord, for the abundance that you have given and granted us in our lives. Abba, we're thankful, Lord, that we live in a country where we can freely uh, express our faith in you, where we can trust you out in the open and praise and uh, love your name. Abba, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts and more importantly, that you would change our lives. Abba, I for one am in need of change. I need my life and my heart to be changed to be made more like yours. Abba, I pray that you would do it in me and do it in us in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So our series, What's in Your Eternal Portfolio, is coming to a close. Today is the last installment of that series. So I really hope that you take to heart and consider this very important question, really. Everything that you see is going to fade away. Everything you currently possess, the very um, building that we're in, the seats that you're sitting on, everything that you can touch and feel is going to pass away. And God is going to create everything new in eternity. So what should we be investing in? The here and now? Or the eternal. And I hope you conclude that the eternal is worth investing in because certainly that is the exhortation of Scripture. So, when all is said and done, it's not going to be what we have done or accumulated on this earth that will make the greatest impact. Rather, it will be what we have done and how we have invested in the eternal things that will count the most. That's just true. So where we get started today is a question. Where have you been investing? It's a good question. Where have you been investing? Where are you storing up your nest egg? Where do you put the bulk of your talents? These questions are all too important to ignore. Today, in our last installment, we're going to be looking at, the, at biblical stewardship as it regards giving. I know everyone's favorite topic, but it really is a believer's favorite topic because the scripture says, the Messiah himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Someone could say amen, amen. or oh my, or oy vey, and he will do. I want to read you a little bit from an article from Relevant Magazine. Look at what it says. It says, the body of Messiah today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news, but it is a statistical fact. Tithers make up only, now by the way, I didn't ask uh, Chris to share that wonderful testimony on tithing. Uh, so it's, it's the Lord putting things together. I have no idea she's going to share that. It's powerful. But tithers make up, listen to me, only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Everyone know what tithing is, right? 
10% of your gross income. Only 5% of the United States tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Believers are only giving at 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. Is that something? Numbers like that can invoke uh, guilt, potentially, which isn't the point or the object of my saying it. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, a tithe or 10%. There would be an additional, listen to me, $165 billion for congregations to use and distribute. Do you hear that? $165 billion for congregations to use and distribute. The global impact would be absolutely phenomenal. Here's just a few things the kingdom of God could do with that kind of money. On your screen, 25 billion could relieve global hunger. Starvation and deaths from preventable, preventable diseases in just five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. One billion could fully fund all overseas emissarial work. All of it. 100 to 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Isn't that amazing? And that's just by God's people doing what he encourages us to do in the first place, to tithe. Do you get the reason why God wants us to tithe then? It's not for us, although, trust me, like Chris said, your life is blessed and provided for when you tithe. But it goes beyond us. God has a vision to alleviate the world of suffering through the body of Messiah. Before I get started, I want to say that by speaking on biblical stewardship as it pertains to giving, I'm doing my part of discipling you in the ways of God. I am not embarrassed to talk about giving because it is foundational for the believer. It is really believer 101. It is something that I learned very, very early on in my walk with God. Someone opened up the scriptures to me and said, the scriptures say that we need to tithe 10% of our income to the Lord. I was a new believer and I said, I never heard of anything like that. You know, and they said that and I said, well, let me look. And I read and it says, and the Lord says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there be food in my house. And I said, okay. And from that point on, I started to do what the scripture said to do. And could I tell you, I do way more than tithing because I believe in the kingdom of God, the purposes of God, the ways of God above and beyond the ways and ambitions of men. God is awesome. You know what? Uh, there's been some men in history that have not only given God 10% and 20%, some of them have grown to give God up to 80% and lived on the 20. Why? Because of their love and passion for God and his kingdom. God himself has plenty to say about this subject, and so we should be educated in it in order to make an informed decision concerning where we choose to invest. First of all, I want to tell you today that, you know what, I'm really not talking about my money or your money. We're talking about God's money. Right? Remember in the first uh, uh, installment of the series, we talked about God owning everything. There's nothing that you have that you have intrinsically by yourself. Everything you have has been given to you by God. Even the power to get wealth, the ability to get up in the morning and go labor for a salary has been given to you by God, everything. The food you eat, guess what? God gave it. 
If he decided to stop production of food, that sowing and reaping ceases to be a principle, guess what? Food stops to grow. God gives it. It belongs to him. But he graciously allows us to use it. So let me talk about three short points and have an open heart. Number one is make sure your treasure is, is in eternal things. I believe this with all my heart. We invest in the things that are important to us. Folks, come on. Look at me in the eye and tell me that after the blizzard last year, And the blizzard the year before that you didn't say, wife, I don't care what I do, but we're going to scrape together a couple of shekels and get ourselves a snowblower. Right? Didn't you do that? Because it was important for you to save your back that was aching from shoveling two feet of snow and more. And I know many of you did that very thing. Now, some of you got big snowblowers. And some of you got little tiny snowblowers. But you got a snowblower because you knew that puppy was going to save you and it was important to you. And can I be frank? Good investment. (laughs) Because, man, the shoveling snow, take it out of you. And you listen, if you're over really uh, 45, you probably shouldn't be shoveling too much snow anyway. You know, they say it's not a good idea. So the snowblower, right? It was important to you. And lo and behold, you could open your garage and there, there it is. Ah! It's like, you know, out of a movie. It has a rays of light popping. Ah! And when the snow comes, you don't even fear. You don't even, you don't even lose an ounce of sleep. You roll over in the morning. You go down, deep, 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 deep. Put on the coffee pot. Oh, let me take a casual look and see how much snow is on my driveway. You lift the blind and no big deal. Because you know you have that snowblower, you know, just ready to roll. It was important to you. We invest in the things that are important to us. Corey Ten Boom said, I have held many things in my hands. And I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And she still possesses them because when you place things in God's hands, you've placed them in eternal hands. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And we're going to get into it in a second, but that phraseology and and that thinking is Jewish thought. And Jewish teaching. And the article in Relevant Magazine went on to say, so why don't we give? What's at the heart of it? The real problem when it comes to our giving is not about money. It's really not about money at all. Actually, the Bible says it's about our eyes. It's what Yeshua called the evil eye. The term evil eye is a Jewish term, whereas a good eye in Judaism refers to goodwill, benevolence, and being genuinely happy when others prosper. The evil eye is quite the opposite. The person with an evil eye feels distressed when when others prosper or giving, rejoices when others suffer, loves their money, and would do nothing in the way of charity. In Judaism, having a good eye or ayin tova means being generous. And having a bad eye, ayin ra'ah, means being stingy. That is the correct interpretation and it's confirmed by the context 
of this passage, greed and anxiety about money being the topic in both the preceding and following verses of that text. So when Yeshua spoke about the eye, he was speaking to a Jewish audience who knew what he was talking about. They knew that a good eye was a generous person and an evil eye was a covetous, stingy person. The truth is, giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. It's a heart issue. I want to give to God. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you precisely why. There's been times where we've not received a paycheck. And my wife looks at me, and I look at her, and she said, I'm going I'm to give the tithe. Give the tithe. Because I'm not in it for the money. And to give it to God, good investment. To give it to God, to his kingdom, which is going to live on for eternity, I want to give it to God. I want God to have it. God is worthy of it. What he's done for me, if I were a billionaire and gave it all back to him, couldn't even begin to touch what he's done for me. When Shaul spoke about the legendary giving of the Macedonian congregation, he urged the Corinthian congregation to prove their love like the Macedonians proved theirs. And in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, he says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He saw it as a test. It just reveals where our love is. Where the things that are important to us lie. What parent, when their kid comes home and says, Mom... Dad, I need a hundred bucks because something going on in school, a trip. And you look at your spouse and you don't really have the hundred bucks, you know, but you look at your kid, you look at your checkbook. How we could do without that other thing this week, give the kid the money. How many of your parents have done that? Of course, over and over again. Why? Because what's more important to you? That money or that child? No question, the child. The same is true in our relationship to God. God's more important. God has always had a special place for radical givers. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Someone said the full power of tithing is found in grace and not in fear. It's something we get to do rather than something we have to do. You hear that? We get to tithe. We get to be a part of God's financial distribution system. I have news for uh, Bernie Sanders. God has a better system than he has. Bernie wants 90% of your money so he can give it to people who don't want to work. God only wants 10% of your money and he will use that 10% to do things like I described in the first part of my message, to feed the world. So... If giving is a heart issue and my heart treasures God and his kingdom, then my giving, like my actions, including my behavior, will reflect what my heart deems important. Brings me to my second point. Partner with God and allow God to access your account. And I have a question for you. Who owns your french fries? I'm serious. Who owns your French fries? 
Well, there's a story of a man who buys his little boy some French fries. Like we've all done. Then the father does what all fathers do. He reaches over and takes one of those French fries to taste it. The little boy slaps his father's hand and says, don't touch my French fries. We've all had that happen, haven't we? The father thinks that his son is selfish. The father knows that he bought the French fries and that they belong to him. The father knows that his son belongs to him and the father could get angry and never buy his son another French fry again to teach the son a lesson or the father could bury the son in French fries. And the father thinks, why is my son selfish? I have given him a whole package of french fries and I just want one stinking fry. God has given us money. And when he asks us for a tithe, people figuratively slap his hand and say, keep your hands off my money. And God's saying, I thought you got those French fries for me. <laughs> and I can't have one. Last year, about Rabbi Carroll spoke one of my favorite quotes by D.L. Moody. And you remember, she said, If God be your partner, make your plans large. Isn't that awesome? If God is your partner, make your plans large. Now, we love that quote, some of us, and maybe you love it if you heard it for the first time, but it's a pretty cool quote. And um, some might focus on the aspect of that quote from the perspective of large plans, right? Wow, Eureka! I'm going to make my plans large, and God, I have a vivid imagination. Oh, I have such large plans. But I want to focus not on the latter part of that um, uh, statement, but on the, the former. If God be your partner. If God is your partner, then he has the privilege of taking a French fry. If God is your partner, he should not be in the position of only giving to you and to me, but also in receiving. Isn't that a partnership? What partnership do you know that's one way? How many of us want a marriage that's one way? Who's going to sign up for that? Just one way. Carol, you give to me, and you do for me, and you wait on me, and you serve me. And you feed me and cook for me and clean for me. I already see her recoiling in her seat. Of course, that's not a partnership. A partnership is I give to you, you give to me. And I give to you and you give to me. And I support you and you support me. But you know, with God, we often have this thing that God give to me. God, give to me. Give to me our prayers. If we would take account of our prayers, most of our prayers talk about God doing and giving to me. Never saying, God, what can I do for you? God, what do you want from me? The prophet said, Hineni, here I am. Send me, God. God, I'll go for you. God will do it. Moshe said, Lord, yes. I'll go and be the redeemer of Israel. God, I'll do it. We've been watching Moses a lot because my son got the uh, sight and sound DVD, Moses. And I want to tell you, if you don't have it, get it. It's cool. Especially the burning bush was really neat. Oh, the, the effects were fantastic. This parting of the sea in a live audience. Oh, man. It, I hate to say it. It buried Cecil B. DeMille's. <laughs> and the, uh, the, uh, at the end, when he burnt and wrote 
with the finger of God into the tablets of stone and made the, the Ten Commandments. It was powerful, really awesome. But Moshe received a lot of things from God, but it only was in one way. It was a partnership. Tithing reinforces that we are partners with God. It's not just us getting, getting. It's us giving and him giving, like any partner would expect. I want to quote to you, this is from Rabbi Kelso Kukurkorn. Sounds like a kooky name, I agree. But he wrote a book, and he's a rabbi, Secrets of Jewish Wealth Revealed. And this is what he said. One of the great differences that set Jews apart from other cultural groups is that we see our wealth as a means to partner with God, as a way to bring God's kingdom into this earth, a concept we call tikkun olam, perfecting the world. We perfect the world by using our God-given wealth to further God's realm on this planet. So what you see is that the Jewish people's pursuit of wealth is often paired with the pursuit of charitable works, not only for selfish purposes. This is the secret of how the Jewish people have created a hedge against chaos in their partnership with God. Sharing creates room in your life for more blessings to come in. Giving creates an endless circuit. You earn, you give, and then you earn more. That's the truth. That is what the scripture teaches. And it, I'm not going to say it's for your benefit, because it's not only for your benefit, it is for your benefit, and it's for God's benefit, like a partnership. And God, I'm going to tell you this, when we give our resources to God, God is not up in heaven receiving it and stocking it away because he needs it. He collects it so he could give, like I said at the beginning, to do for others who suffer and are in need. To do this, to have this mindset to create that endless circuit means to make tithing a non-negotiable principle in your life. What if tithing is actually one of God's great gifts to us? See, I know we think about it. Here, here goes the, 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 the speaker again talking about tithing. They want something from me. I disagree. What if tithing is actually one of God's great gifts to you? What if tithing isn't opposed to grace, but is actually a vehicle of it? We heard the scripture, will a man rob God? Question mark. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, hear me out on this verse. This verse has a sense about it as if the people truly don't understand why things aren't going well for them or that they're in any way at odds with God. They're truly saying, what do you mean, what's the beef? What's up? I haven't robbed you. I haven't done anything, God. God, I love you. I'm your child. What are you saying that for? So will a man rob God? And we would answer, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Then God says that the people have robbed him and they are like, no way. How did we do that? Then he tells them how the biblical principle of tithes and offerings needs to be implemented for their own sake. And he goes on to say, bring all the tithes. Say all the tithes into the storehouse. Do you know that there's not just one tithe in the Bible? There's three tithes in the Bible. Um, 
The Levitical or sacred tithe, which is for the work of God, found in Bani Bar 18. The tithe of the feasts, which is really like a little nest egg for you to put away so you could celebrate before the Lord. And that's found in Devarim 14. And then the tithe for the poor, found in Devarim 14, to express the charity of God. And he says, bring all the tithes into my house, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. And I will, this is important, rebuke the devourer. Many people wonder why. Man, I never just have never have enough resources. I put it in the pocket, it just it's gone. I can't seem to get ahead. Now realize we we just saw 2.5% of the United States is tithing. So it's fair to say most of us in this room perhaps don't do it. But we wonder where how come I can't get ahead of the game? How can I get on top of things? I'm making a decent salary, we're doing okay. I've taken care of I'm, I'm living you know, light, and I still don't have enough. And look what he says next. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, so he doesn't steal your stuff. So he doesn't take your hard-earned money and make it... Where'd it go? You ever wonder that? I don't know where it went. I hear that all the time. I don't know where it goes. The devourer comes to take it. And if we don't tithe, it's a principle that you can't neglect. Like any principle in God, like gravity. Say you don't believe in gravity. Go ahead. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not, right? It's uh, in operation. Say you don't want to believe in it. Doesn't matter. Say you hate it. Go ahead. You still need to live by it. As a believer, we can say anything we want about tithing and about God's financial principles. We like them. We don't like them. They annoy us. We hate hearing about whatever you want to say. It doesn't change the fact that they are what they are. I didn't make the rules, but I'll tell you what. I certainly do live by them. And I don't mind to do it at all. You see, he will destroy the devourer, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. You see, the scripture is very clear. The tithe, which is 10% of our income, go toward the work of God. And since it appears to be counterintuitive, like many principles in the word of God, doesn't it? It seems counterintuitive. Like, gee, I, how can I afford to die? Tithe. The truth is, how could you afford not to? Just like Yeshua says, if you want to save your life, I'm going to give you the recipe on how to do it. You want to save your life? Lose it. What? <laughs> well, Mazel, save my life? I have to lose it? That makes no sense. But it does make sense in God's economy. Give yourself totally and fully to me and watch what I will do. Same thing with this principle. When we give it, it seems counterintuitive, but God will take care of us. This will act as a perpetual flow from us to God and from God to us. Why does God require a tithe in the first place? Do you know the scriptures refer to the body of Messiah as a nation? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And not unlike an earthly nation, the kingdom of God on earth utilizes finances in order to do the work of the kingdom of God. Simple. With that said, many people still struggle partnering with God in finances and suffer for it. Hear me out. I'm not here to persuade you to do anything. I'm presenting the word of God to you because I know this. When you, 
use the principles of the word of God in your life, you benefit. That's just the truth. I would love you to benefit because God wants you to benefit. God wants to rebuke the devourer on your behalf. He wants to see you get up from under it and thrive. The thinking is that if I give a tithe to God, I will not have enough to cover my responsibilities. And this happens because people tend to look at it like a mathematical equation rather than a spiritual principle. Anyone who's tithed could have this testimony. I'm sure they do. You look at your checkbook. I remember once we did a financial exercise and as we're going through it, I'm saying to myself, how in God's green earth could we afford to tithe? Yet we tithe and all the bills are paid. And we tithe and all the bills are paid. And when you look at it, it doesn't make sense because it is not a mathematical equation. It's a spiritual principle. And you have to look at it as such. Um, This is not dissimilar to Yeshua's call for us to give our all to him. And he'll take care of us. We make a living, said Dave Ramsey, by what we get. But we make a life, hear that, by what we give. We make a life by what we give. Um, It's true. In Acts and Luke, it says, give and it shall be given unto you. Remember? And here's another thing about tithing that I can't explain. Wait, wait, wait. I can't explain it. This is what people say all the time. And I hope this, to say this to liberate you. I can't afford to tithe the rabbi. Oh, I would love to tithe. And you know what? When the money comes in, I'm going to tithe and give it to God. When it comes in. There's a problem with that thinking. The money will never come in first. Because remember the laws of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap before or after you sow. After you sow. And then you reap more than you sow. But you reap after you sow. You don't, God doesn't give it first. You sow first. Isn't that true? You want an apple tree. It doesn't start with the apple. It starts with the seed. First you plant the seed, and then the apples grow. It's the same, it's a principle that God has given. Sowing and reaping, that's the way it works. I didn't make it up. I would love to go outside and say, apple fall from the sky. Start me out, God, with a bag of apples. If you know our story, my daughter wanted an apple tree in our yard. I'm not Mr. Green Thumb by any stretch of the imagination. And years ago, we planted what we thought were flowering pear trees. And all of a sudden, after we're in the house 10 years, I look up at one of these supposed flowering pear trees, and there's apples on the tree. I guess they sold us the wrong tree. It was pretty for the first 10 years, but it wasn't until that 10th year that I actually see a piece of fruit. You reap after you sow. That's the way it works, but here's the good news. Once you sow and it starts to come in, you don't get one apple. Matter of fact, this year, I would say to my girls who wanted that apple tree to come in, those apples need to be picked. My deck is being littered with apples. There's apples all over the place. The apples are falling from everywhere. An apple, an apple, they rotted on the deck because they couldn't go through enough apples. Once it started to bear fruit, that apple tree was outproducing my family's ability to eat it. And if you know anything about my family, apple (laughs) pie, apple bread, apple. My wife will come up with an apple recipe for everything if she wants to. And this is only, this is proving because one year my daughter wanted to go pumpkin picking. And lo and behold to us, we're ignorant of pumpkins. You can't just get one pumpkin, right? So we got one, four pumpkins. It was like 75 pounds of pumpkins. What are we going to do with that? And my wife starts making pumpkin bread and pumpkin muffins and pumpkin pie. We ate pumpkin everything for about a year, right? My brother-in-law would come over and he said, not pumpkin again. 
No, it's true. It's pumpkin muffins, pumpkin pie, pumpkin bread. I think we would have pumpkin pasta, although it didn't come from the pumpkins. <laughs> um, but you reap after you sow, and you reap a lot. It's a principle. It's more blessed to give than receive. Someone said this, tithing isn't, I'm closing, tithing isn't something I do to clear my conscience so I can do whatever I want with the 90% because it also belongs to God. I must seek his direction and permission for whatever I do with the full amount in, in, in truth. I may discover that God has different ideas than I do, says Randy Alcorn. Isn't it true? We think, yeah, the tithe is 10% and we give it. But the truth is, God owns it all. And so I can't just do whatever I want with it. I have to always be consulting God on how to steward his property faithfully. I want to read you a story from Joyce Meyer. I hope it encourages you. She said, I never will forget this. I went and threw myself across my daughter's bed. And you can see her doing it, right? And I cried and cried and cried and cried because I felt like I had been so faithful and that there was no financial breakthrough for us. Some of you could resonate, it resonates with you. Have you ever had one of those days where you're tired of hearing everybody else's testimony? But I made a decision that day, and I think we all have to come to this point in many different areas of our life. And as I lay across that bed and cried, when I finally got done crying, I said this out loud. It was like my declaration, God, I am going to tithe and give offerings until the day I die, whether I ever see anything from it or not. And you know what? From that day forward, we began to prosper and increase. And I believe with all my heart, that was a test for me. I know God a little bit. And I know God, whatever he's asking for from us, he never, he always wants us to go all in. That's the way it works. We sang it today, the Shema. Right? And then following the Vahafta, to love the Lord your God. It doesn't say with 90% of your heart. It says with all for a reason. Because to really enjoy the benefits of God, which we can all say amen to, right? You have to be all in. Yeshua said, that's why if you don't love your life, you know, if you love your life, you're going to lose it, right? If you don't, you know, leave everything and follow me. Why? Because if you're not all in. And there's many believers, hear me, it's so true. They live on the fence, kind of in, kind of out in areas of their life. And they wonder why those areas just don't really ever, you know, get to where the scripture says they could be. So they're kind of in and out. And, and it doesn't work like that. The principle of God does not work when we're half in and half out. God is always looking for us as his people to be all in. When we're all in, it works. I don't know about you. I gave up everything to serve Yeshua. Everything. I left my business to serve Yeshua. As a young man that was pretty established, I left everything to serve the Lord. Left all my friends, all of them. Every single last one. Walked away from them. Never went back to them. I walked out on my total, on the lifestyle I was living. Everything I left for Yeshua. Not some things, not most things, everything. And I remember there was a day, I was a brand new believer, maybe two weeks old in the Lord. And I got a call from one of my buddies. He said, hey, meet me at such and such a place. And I said, okay. And I hung up the phone and I thought about it for a second. And God said to me, if you go, You'll never come back. And 
I hung up the phone, and I went and I sat down. I could see it. And I decided in my heart, I'm not going. I gave that up to serve the Lord. Those friends never came a calling again, ever. Ever. I don't regret a second of it. I often think I might not even be alive if I went down that road. But Baruch Hashem, God knows. And what I'm saying is we have to be all in. Not partially in, not mostly in. All in. Same is true for this. So in order to make investments that last, we, have, we must have the heart of giving, which is this. It's a threefold heart. It's a matter of the heart. What is most important to you? It's a matter of faith. Who do you trust? And it's a matter of priority. Who comes first? It really boils down to the simple things. I could say confidently, because I know that woman, that as for me and my house, God's first. God gets first. He is first. He will always be first. He's first. Period. With our finances, I don't own them. He owns them. I get to steward them. Praise God. He's always taking care of me. I trust he always will. Things have not always been easy. No, just because you give, that doesn't mean challenges don't arise. Yeah, they arise just like everyone else. But like the, the quote says, if God be your partner, God takes care of his partnerships. One way, shape, or form, God is worthy. I want to encourage you. You're sitting in this room. We talked about investments. The first two installments, we didn't talk about finances at all. We talked about investing your life into the things of God. You need to do it. If you're here in this room and you've never said, Yeshua, I'm all in, you need to be all in. Give him your heart, everything you are. He doesn't want half of you, some of you. He doesn't want 50%, 90%, 99%. He wants all of you. When you give him all of you, the returns are immeasurable. He'll bless your life. He'll bless your soul. You'll be a happy person in your heart of hearts. But he also wants to bless you in your finances. I know there's a lot of things out there. I don't know, you ever see the, the stock market lately? Not doing so well. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure where moth and rust destroy. See, we can invest in the temporal or we can invest in the eternal. I'm investing in God. I, put, I, I told my wife probably, I don't know, a month ago, I made this statement to her, and the statement stands. Win, lose, or draw, I put all my eggs in God's basket. I don't have an egg left. <laughs> I put all my eggs in his basket. And I'm trusting in him. As a matter of fact, I have to trust in him. <laughs> I don't have any more eggs left. I'm out. Flat, done, out of eggs. All my eggs are in God's basket. Some might say, wow, that's bold. That's foolish. I think it's the smartest thing I could ever do. Put my eggs in God's basket. And I would encourage you to do the same. When it comes to finances, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread, says the word of God. So, you know, you have your uh, messages that are like dessert. God loves you. Wants to put oil on your head like the good shepherd does. Give you a comb. Then you have your like broccoli messages. And Brussels sprouts, where God just wants to say, hey, folks, this is what we need to do. These are the principles that I've laid out for you and for the kingdom. They're mutually um, beneficial. I know this about God, that he loves his people. And if you ever wonder, 
what's God willing to do as part of the partnership? He proved himself 2,000 years ago when the Messiah looked at the tree of sacrifice on that lonely hill in Jerusalem and said, I'm all in. I'll give it all for them, everything. Every ounce of my breath, every drop of my blood, I'm all in. He didn't do it for him, himself. He didn't do it for God. He did it for uh, us, for you, for me. So if you ever wondered, God, if I'm going to be your partner, what are you doing? He's done it. He's all in for you. I want to encourage you to be all in for him. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for you, say the ironic blessing, but I know that there's likely um, prayer needs in our midst. And um, I'm going to ask Rabbi Carol and uh, the prayer team, you know who you are, <laughs> to come forward. And if you have a prayer request, we want to pray for you. We want to believe with you. Um, I know some of you need healing. Come up for prayer. I need some of you need a touch from God for relationships. Come up for prayer. We want to pray with you. Prayer is powerful, and prayer works. So um, stretch forth your hand. Yesar Adonai panavilecha v'yesim lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Father, I pray that the peace of God that surpasses understanding would guard your people's hearts and minds in the Messiah. Father, that you would pursue them and follow them and overtake them with goodness and mercy as they seek your face this week. And we ask it in Yeshua's name. Uh, amen. Again, our prayer team's coming up. If you want prayer, uh, please come for prayer. Now listen, visitors, wave at me. If you have your card, go, to see, go out in the foyer and you're going to get a gift from one of the ushers um, for the redemption of that card. We want to give you a gift, so make sure you get it. Shabbat Shalom.